Hey there, welcome to the Money, Sex, Power podcast. I'm your host, Danitha Doe. Money, Sex, Power is a provoking and provocative podcast intended to expand the definition of what it means to be a wealthy woman. I invite you to listen in on conversations with women who will challenge you to examine and re-examine your self-limiting beliefs and abusive relationship with money, sex, and power. Please note, you will be offended. You may even feel attacked. And that's where I believe your journey of being a wealthy woman begins. If you're ready to hear the truth, do the work, and stop avoiding the fullness of your womanhood, I invite you to listen in to today's episode. Today's episode is a solo episode. I mentioned in the last episode, episode 10 with Carolyn Elliott, the author of Existential Kink, that moving forward, these episodes will be solo. So here we go with the first solo episode. This episode is an update from my conversation with Carolyn. There have been some shifts and awakenings and I have fully come to a place of peace and acceptance. I have reached my apex of being a martyr. I reached my apex of practicing masochism. And so I want to give you an update on that because I do believe that that is part of the journey of being a wealthy woman. It has been for me and it may be part of your journey as well. So I wanted to share that with you and and also give you an update on what has transpired between my work and Carolyn Elliott's work because I did allude to us perhaps working together in terms of the dynamic between black and white women. And there have been some updates in that area. So in large part, this episode will be dedicated to that update. And then I will close with what is percolating for the future of money, sex, power. It's got me so excited. It's so juicy, at least to me, it feels really juicy, really good, really pleasurable. And so I'm excited to share all of that with you. All right, so let's dive into this topic for today. The title of this episode is Reparations Then Separation. And it is entitled that way because that is what I believe needs to happen. I am not speaking for all Black women. I am speaking for myself, and I have come to the realization that the only way moving forward for me is to experience what I'm calling reparations than separation. Now, for me, my background as Jamaican, first generation American, reparations may not literally be something that I experience, and that's totally fine for me. I'm talking about that needs to happen regardless of if I'm a part of that equation that needs to happen within the United States specifically. Um, But I'm talking more about a symbolic, uh, more the symbolism of it for myself, the reparations than separation. And so 
That is in part, that is because I have finally reached an acceptance of the dynamic between black and white women. And there is no reconciliation. There is no hope for unity, for solidarity, for sisterhood, because white women simply do not have the capacity to do that. So I had a, an opportunity to partner with Carolyn and Carolyn and her team were incredibly gracious. There was nothing that they did to me directly that made me feel unwelcomed or offended or attacked, anything like that. The whole experience working with the team was gracious and exactly what I want to experience moving forward. If there is ever a type of collaboration with me and a white woman owned company in which they are paying me. And um, the experience that I had with Carolyn's team, fantastic, absolutely. Um, what we worked on was she invited me in to speak to her community, which is called Wealth, about how to use existential kink as a tool for healing the collective shadow of racism. And if you recall from episode 10, if you haven't already listened to episode 10, I highly recommend listening to it because you'll get a better understanding of what existential kink is and the, the path that Carolyn and I together were going to collaborate on. When we had that conversation, for the podcast, Money, Sex, Power. And then we had a, a conversation after I stopped, after I hit the record, after I stopped recording. So we continued our conversation after the recording. And we both were in alignment. So I thought that part of the power of existential kink was to highlight the sadistic and masochistic elements of racism. So sadistic, the sadism lies in white women. They take pleasure in seeing black women in pain. And then the masochistic part I found to be true for myself, where I took pleasure in putting myself in harmful situations, particularly around white women. And I can say that without feeling any shame. It's true. I was I realized that for myself, even before reading Existential Kink, that that was true. Masochism was certainly living within me. And so that's where we left the conversation, that we would have a dialogue about that dynamic, sadism and masochism, in with her community. It would be a conversation between me and Carolyn and her community could listen in on it. And I was so excited about that conversation because that is the type of conversation that I feel is a step forward in healing the dynamic between black and white women. In part, it's not going to uproot the whole system of white terrorism, white uh, supremacy, but it's a big step to have an honest dialogue and particularly between two women 
that don't feel any shame around that. I, and also are not harmed by the other person saying it. I did not feel any harm in Carolyn admitting to the sadistic nature within her. It was something I already knew to be true and I could hold space for that truth to be revealed without being harmed by it. And so I thought that this would be a really healthy conversation. I was super excited about it. And, and I was hopeful that it would be the first of many conversations. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> as it goes with white women, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, Carolyn decided to do some Instagram posts prior to our conversation. And the Instagram post did not reference me at all. It had nothing to do, uh, it never mentioned my name or anything. These were posts she did independently outside of our conversation about what we would talk about in regards to the collective shadow of racism within her wealth community. And the posts that she did on Instagram were troublesome. And they were troublesome because they, she did talk about racism, which prior to these posts, she, she danced around the topic of racism, which was why I reached out to her in the first place, because I knew with her educational background that she had it, at least thought about it and her not bringing it up, I felt was an opportunity for me to reach out and see if she was open to it, if she was struggling with the language, the positioning, you know, all whatever it was, I, I reached out for that reason because I wanted to see where she was at and see if there was a way that together we could do some really great work um, it, it, for the collective and others that were on that same wavelength could join in. And her Instagram post, though, didn't talk at all about the sadism piece. All it focused on was white women as victims. And you can go to her Instagram page to see the post. It's created quite a firestorm because she essentially was calling for white women to also be seen as indigenous and that they were victims of Christian imperialism and that this whole anti-racist rhetoric around white women just need to be quiet and stop censoring yourselves wasn't helpful. These are all Carolyn's words that I'm paraphrasing. You can read several posts on her Instagram about this yourself. And what was unfortunate I'm not on Instagram, and so I didn't know about these posts until Carolyn texted me just to give me a heads up. And to her credit, also said, hey, I created, I offended a lot of people with this first post. If you don't want to work with me, I totally understand. And so to her credit, she gave me a heads up because I would not have known about these posts because I'm not on social media and gave me the opportunity to move forward or not. And, and I, I still, after reading it, and there were some things that I'm going to get into here in a second that gave me, 
were huge red flags for me. I, I decided to move on with having the conversation because I, I still believed in the conversation that we could have together. Now, the issue with her posts were, um, and I've mentioned this to Carolyn as well, is the, the default to being a victim. That's what white women do all the time. They always default to being a victim. And then the big, big, big red flag for me was that she actually deleted comments from BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color who were disagreeing with her. And from what I could tell, those deleted comments were not derogatory. They didn't attack her humanity. They were simply stating that her post was hurtful and harmful and she deleted them. And when I saw that and saw that she kept all these posts from white women who are so quick to co-sign as victims, I realized, okay, this is, we, Carolyn and I are not on the same page. We're not even this in the same book. And I'm still going to go forward and have this conversation, but this is, it's unfortunate that she did that post and I'm glad she did it because I, for myself, could see clearly who she is and who she is not. And she is not someone that um, was on the same page as me as it relates to healing racism. Absolutely not on the same page or in the same book. And so we went forward with the conversation, which I'm not going to share the conversation that we had in the group because I did ask for that conversation to not be recorded and for it only to be available to those that were in person. It was on Zoom, but in person, in attendance. And, and so I'm not going to repeat what was in that conversation. I did think it was powerful. It was respectful between the two of us. I believe the folks that were in attendance received a lot of value and insight from it. Uh, so the reason I, but I will share the reason why I went ahead and did the conversation, because by the time I got to the conversation, I knew that there wasn't going to be any further conversations between me and Carolyn. It was a done deal, a wrap. And it wasn't just because of that singular Instagram post or the deletion of comments, although that got me like 95% of the way there. It was the subsequent Instagram posts and emails. I was on her email list that made me realize, okay, this isn't, she's, this isn't happening beyond this conversation. And so I showed up though, because it was symbolic for me to practice reparations and separation. It was the closure I needed to finally, finally accept that white women will never heal from their whiteness, never heal from their whiteness. I, as a black woman, have healed from the impact of racism. I believe racism is prejudice plus power. And so as a black person, I am, there are plenty of ways that racist 
systems and racist people try to harm me. I believe I have, I know for sure I have healed from the residue of that and the residue meaning being conditioned to be a martyr, being conditioned to be masochistic, being conditioned to turn the other cheek, all of that I have healed. And I have done, I am incredibly proud of myself because it has been a deep, deep, deep inner journey that a lot of it can't even be expressed verbally. I will express it through my art later, which I'll talk more about that artwork that I'm doing to as a gift to myself for all of the, the inner work that I have had the courage to do. So I showed up to that call though, not for anyone else, not for anyone, not the white women in wealth, not for the black women, not for anyone. And I showed up for me. I showed up for myself as closure. I showed up as a way to experience reparations than separation. And this episode, I want to share what I've come to learn to be true. And if you are a Black woman listening to this, and as I usually say, prior to most content that I create, I do speak in very binary terms. So I say Black, white, I only speak to I only use the words she, her, women. I focus on the feminine. That's not at all to dismiss folks that do not use those pronouns. It's simply to, not simply, it's actually intentional. It's an intentional way for me to heal the fact that I have never been centered in conversations as a Black woman. So I'm taking the liberty to center my experience. So I hope that if you are someone that doesn't identify with any of those, that you can still hear my message. White women are never going to heal from their whiteness. And what is whiteness? I define whiteness as a deadly mixture. It's a drug And the drugs mixture is devaluation plus codependency plus spiritual barrenness. Devaluation is what creates this false superiority complex. They fully believe that they are better than anyone, any sentient being. That is the what lives in them consciously, unconsciously, subconsciously, it is just running through everything that they do and say and believe. And that is on so many levels, (laughs) a problem. Um, And that is the first part of the drug devaluation. Not only do they think they are better than Anything else, because it's less than them, can be dismissed and disregarded. The second part of that equation is codependency. Codependency is, and I actually, let me go back to the devaluation. You can truly see this in, particularly with white women who value data over lived experience. 
So they will devalue someone's lived experience, my lived experience as a Black woman, and say, well, I want to have an intellectual conversation about this, or I want to talk about the, the data around this. And in doing so, dismiss and disregard my direct lived experience. So that is one key key way that they practice and showcase their devaluation. The second one is codependency. So codependency, white women are nothing without being, without playing the victim card. They are codependent on victimhood. They are codependent on these systems that they have propped their men up to build. You know, those hide behind the patriarchy now and say, oh, this toxic masculinity. Look at what these men have done to us, these white men. I'm on your side. We, we have the same enemies. When in fact, they were the ones who coddled these white men to create this system. These white men didn't just create this system in a vacuum. Their moms, their sisters, their wives, their daughters all prop them up to create these toxic systems. And they, white women, have continued to coddle the white men in their lives. I had one woman describe it to me as white women would be nothing without the straight jacket of privilege. And that was so apt for me, the way she described it. That is their codependency, their codependence on always playing the victim and codependence on one hand for the white patriarchal system to exist in order to have that privilege. And then on the other hand, they're codependent on playing the victim of that same system. They just continue to kowtow around and they love, 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 love codependency. The third part of the drug is spiritual barrenness. They have no spiritual roots. And you can dive into this more with my conversation with Criselda Pacheco on episode one, where we talk about Lilith. And she goes into how in 300 AD, Constantine, Emperor Constantine, allowed for an unholy marriage between church and state. So the church, Christianity, shared the secrets of nature, the secrets of Lilith, as Criselda describes it, with the state, with the, the government of that time. And in doing so, started the process of ripping out the spiritual roots of white people. It started in Italy. That's where Emperor Constantine was reigning and ripping out those spiritual roots meant over time, it meant not being allowed to uh, connect with your ancestors, do ancestral worship, do what at the time would have been indigenous spiritual practices for white Europeans. But over time, they sold that off for comfort. They sold their soul for comfort allowed themselves to forget their spiritual practices and replace it with Christianity, which was a lot of what Carolyn was alluding to in her post, that Christian imperialism 
has been the reason why white women are in this dire, hopeless situation that they're in. And I absolutely agree. And again, the way she positioned her post and the way that her mind works, because this is the programming that white women have, is that they are codependent on being a victim. Instead of talking about sadism, she chose to talk about her victim of being a of being a victim to Christian imperialism. And so go and listen to episode one if you haven't already listened to that. It's great. Uh, and Criselda, while her work is awesome, she also has a ton of anti-blackness running through her as well. But I invited her on the podcast because she does have incredible wisdom to share. And so that is what whiteness is. And the way that Carolyn phrased her Instagram posts, it, all of those elements of whiteness were within there. The devaluation by deleting BIPOC comments completely dismissed and disregarded our viewpoints because of the false superiority complex. Um, the codependency on victimhood, which I just talked about, instead of talking about sadism, she talks about being a victim of Christian imperialism. And then spiritual barrenness. In subsequent posts, she talks about wanting Lakota medicinal ceremonies, which Lakota is a Native American tribe. Their current lands are North and South Dakota. And it appears that she has been a part of some of those medicinal ceremonies and she wants it she wants that medicine to be shared in her words horishly to everyone because everyone needs it and that speaks I'm not of the Lakota Native American tribe so I'm not going to speak to their medicinal ceremonies I am speaking to the idea of horishly spreading any spiritual practice through the streets because that is exactly what Christianity has done. It is horishly spread through the streets and it is therefore not as potent and not sacred. This is what spiritual barrenness does. White women have no idea what sacred means. Instead, they just want it to be commercialized and spread thin to everyone because they have no embodied idea of what is sacred. That is the reason why spiritual practices such as my own from my lineage are so potent because they are kept sacred. They are shared to specific folks when the time is right when it's needed. It's not just given out like candy. And so that is what happened. And what I had hoped her posts would have touched on, I didn't know she was going to do Instagram posts, but what I had hoped those posts had touched on was the acknowledgement, yes, of spiritual roots being ripped out. So true, but not positioning it as being a victim. I would have loved to highlight the desperate, dire, hopeless situation that white women are in and then talk about how that has created this strong sadism in white women. 
And then a humble request for help as she and other white women navigate their healing of whiteness. And, you know, this would be akin to me, us as humans collectively have done this to Mother Earth. We have disregarded and dismissed her. There are pockets of people in the world that have continued sacred practices to connect with Mother Earth, to heal Mother Earth, despite what many of us who live in hyper-commercialized areas have done. And I, as someone who has also been a part of harming, raping, and pillaging Mother Earth, I would need to be humbled I, when approaching someone who has not done the same horrific acts against Mother Earth. When I'm approaching that person to ask, hey, what can I do? I need to come with humility. Whether it's a person, whether I'm going to a pine tree, an evergreen, an oak tree, a sequoia, and going to her, the tree, and saying, hey, I am so sorry. Please tell me what I can do differently moving forward. Coming with humility and asking questions, not coming and saying, I'm the victim here. This is not my fault. This is what happened to me. I was brought here from the coast of Ghana and brought on a slave ship and they tried to take my spiritual practices and that's why I do all these things that harm Mother Earth. No, (laughs) no, Mother Earth already knows what happened. I would need to come to the sequoia tree and say, hey, I am so sorry please help me figure out what to do differently moving forward. That's what I would have hoped would have come from Carolyn Elliott's posts, and they didn't. And to be clear, Carolyn Elliott, I'm using her name often because this is the example that was the the last episode that I had, and I wanted to give you all an update. This is not at all to disparage her. She is an archetype now for me. She is symbolic of where the, where white women are. And the white women that are in her community and open to the work of existential kink, they are, dare I say, further along than all these love and light, love and light women, white women, certainly much further than the Christian white women And yet and still, the whiteness is so deep within them that they can't see past their own addiction to it. And so that's what I would have hoped those posts would have been about. They were not. And so that is why I have fully accepted that there is no hope for white women. They are hopelessly addicted to whiteness. And now it's about, can now the question is, can I thrive as a black woman knowing that there are sadistic vampires walking around? White women are sadistic vampires. 
they have no spiritual roots. They're spiritually barren. I am spiritually filled. And so they try to suck that energy from me in very sadistic ways. So is it possible for me to thrive knowing that this energy is around? And I can absolutely say with a thousand percent certainty that that is absolutely possible. And that is my truth. That is what I know to be true. I have realized that my liberation was never dependent upon the evolution of white women. I remember this white woman once tried to tell me that our liberation is bound within each other. And no, it's not. (laughs) That's a damn lie. I am fully liberated. And now my focus is on healing the broken relationship between myself and Mother Earth and doing what I can to create more environmentally sound economic policies, environmentally sound business practices. That's what my focus is on now. I'm so thrilled that I came to that realization, even though there were lies being told that that wasn't possible. Okay, so I want to talk now about what I just said, calling them sadistic vampires. I want to flush that out so you're very clear on what I mean by that. Let's start, let's go into story time. A long time ago, 300 AD specifically, with Constantine, the Emperor Constantine, a long time ago in Italy, because that's where he was, white people decided that they were going to give up the secrets of nature to the state, to the government. They were going to marry church and state. Now, at the time, you know, there was, at the time, I cannot believe that they would have known the repercussions of all of that. I, I can only imagine if they really knew what the consequences were of doing that, they wouldn't have done that. But that's what happened. And that's what I believe is what a classic sin is. So sin in terms of the actual definition, which is missing the mark. I believe they that, that is a very poignant example of missing the mark when they decided to marry the church and state. Because what that did over time was it gave the secrets of nature, of spirituality, some may say Lilith, to the government, which meant that the government now knew how to control people. Because spirituality, our essence, our spirit is our inner power. However we choose to express it, it's a combination of our ancestral lineage and what we've learned throughout our lifetime. It's a whole beautiful blend. It is our power. It's our inner power. And so giving that up to an external entity, sharing those secrets, invites this external entity to take control of a group of people. They now know how to control large groups of people. And this continued for many, 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 many centuries, this continued merging of church and state, blurring the lines between 
spiritual practices, Christianity, to the point where it became illegal to practice ancestral worship in parts of Europe. And, you know, we can fast forward to the Salem witch trials, where I do believe that there was a, a strong resurgence of the need to reconnect with their ancestral spiritual practices. Many of them died because of that. And that was one of the the signs that they knew that they were in a dire, hopeless situation, I believe. The, The witches of that time realized that. And they were persecuted for it. So, but instead of white people as a collective addressing the original sin that was made, which was marrying the church and state, they created all these systems to avoid it. Um, One of those systems was killing witches. The other system that they created was whiteness. They brought that energy, you know, they came from Europe to the United States and said, we want religious freedom, but it wasn't religious freedom in a way to reconnect with their ancestral lineage. It was not that at all, one. And two, it was also more about economic power and economic freedom. The majority of those white men that came over on the Mayflower were actually up to their eyeballs in debt and they did not want to pay it back. So that's why they came over here to the United, what is now known as the United States. And instead of addressing their spiritual barrenness, what did they do? They raped and pillaged the Native Americans. They took the Black Africans that were here on the land that is now called the United States, took them as prisoners of war. They brought Black Africans over from the coast of Ghana and other ports as enslaved people. And I believe they did all of that. The only way you can do that to a group of people is if you don't have a connection with your own spirituality. Because, yes, there has every one of us in our ancestral lineage has history of going to war with other peoples, of harming their women, potentially their children as well. But the difference with whiteness is that whiteness seeks to rip the spiritual roots from a people. They ripped Native Americans from their lands and moved them from Wisconsin to Kansas to Oklahoma. They ripped Black Africans from their land and brought them to another a a foreign land. And once they brought them to this foreign land, they didn't, they made it illegal to sing and dance, part of, which is part of the spiritual practices. And so that's the difference with whiteness. That spiritual barrenness allows them to do things to another group of people to rip out their core. Because if you're actually connected to your core, you could you just couldn't do that, that part to another human. You know, you could do a lot of other horrific things, um, but ripping out 
what is their power source, their spirituality source, their soul. That's not, that's, that's special to whiteness. And so, um, instead of addressing that spiritual barrenness, they just kept building system upon system to avoid it. And creating whiteness was a way for them to avoid the spiritual barrenness within them. Whiteness wasn't, race wasn't a thing before white people created it. And, uh, you know, people will bring up Bacon's rebellion and say, see, but like the poor indentured servants who were white, like teamed up with the black people and, and they fought against the elites. This isn't a, a conversation about racism. It's about power. And Sure, it started off that way, a conversation about, it was a fight against the elites, the rich against the poor, feudalism versus, you know, feudalism, the the protest against feudalism is why we have capitalism, uh, because folks were tired of not being able to experience economic mobility and social upward mobility. And so they created this new system, capitalism, which you know, achieved that, yes, you can move up. <laughs> Not many people, but more people can. And then, but it didn't solve the inequality issue. But that's for a whole nother episode, perhaps. The Bacon's Rebellion, yes, demonstration that this was not about race at that time. But what did happen? The elite said, which were all white people, the elite said, hey, we are going to create this term, we're going to create race and we're going to create white so that the poor indentured servants are on our side. They can see themselves as better than, there's that devaluation again, better than these black people and then they'll be on our side. And guess what the poor whites did? They ate that up. They put their whiteness before their economic class. They put their whiteness before their so-called solidarity with Black people because they were so eager to be a part of this community that devalues another community. Because why? Because whiteness was a force before it was actually named white. And what that force is, is devaluation plus codependency plus spiritual barrenness. So these white people, these poor white indentured servants were like, yep, that is me. Thanks for putting a name on it. And now I can feel proud about being white. That's what happened. They created that because they essentially wanted to avoid addressing the real pain. And the real pain is that they have no spiritual roots. And as a black woman, I am a constant reminder of what could have been for them, particularly white women. I am a constant reminder to white women of the great loss that they have experienced because they have no spiritual roots. My joy, my ability to thrive, my ability to connect with black girl magic, which is a thing, is a constant reminder that that is something that their ancestors gave up on. That your ancestors, white people, white women, sold you. <laughs> they sold you out. And that's where the anger comes from. 
the anger towards me as a black woman is misdirected. It's actually anger towards their ancestors, but they, they won't do the work to actually heal that. So they just decide to be angry at me. And then because I'm a constant reminder of what they could have had, they believe that they can suck it out of me. Either they can suck it out of me so that they can use it, but then when they realize that they can't actually tap into it, they just try to suck it out of me so that I don't have it. The whole misery loves company is it apt here? You know, if I'm miserable, you also have to be miserable. That That's essentially what's going on. And so, yeah, it, what they have turned into is sadistic vampires. They take pleasure out of sucking the life force out of Black women, they being white women. And they don't, what's so unfortunate is that there is a catch-22 here, that they, they're at the point where they're doing this because the pain is too great for them to bear. I mean, this is, we're talking all the way back to 300 AD. That's a lot of generations to try to heal, right? Any of us that are doing the heavy lifting of healing, of breaking chains, knows that uh, there's heavy lifting when you're just going back a generation or two. This is many, many, many generations. So the pain is too great for them to bear, but in order to heal, they need to address the pain, but they don't have the spiritual resiliency to address it. So they're in this catch-22. It is dire and hopeless to be a white woman. I'm, I, it is, it's a shame. It's a real shame. And yet you can't say this to them because they think you're shaming them, even though you're telling them the truth, the only truth that would help them. It's a whole mess. And so, um, you know, EK, existential kink, again, I thought would be a great tool, a tool to start working on the sadistic part of white women, because that is just one layer of this healing of the whiteness that they need to go through. But I already see what's going to happen from Carolyn's Instagram posts and all the white women that were so quick to jump on the victim bandwagon. It's going to be weaponized. Just be on the lookout for the work of EK, existential kink, to be weaponized against you because what it's going to turn into is a true victim blaming tool. And that was what I was trying to help Carolyn avoid because that is such an unfortunate, that will be such an unfortunate takeaway from the book because it, it can be so much more than that, but because of the posts that she made and the comments from her community, that's what's going to happen, is that it's going to be eventually taken as, oh, this is a tool about victim blaming. Because what it should have been positioned as, oh no, this is a tool to really help you see why the abuser does what they are doing, not why the abused is allowing this to happen. And unfortunately, it's going to be weaponized. And it's going to be weaponized in terms of racism as saying that Black women feel masochism from this. And that is not what's happening. What is happening is that white women are sadistic. They get pleasure 
from seeing black women in pain. And what I as a black woman have come to realize is that the masochism, the martyrdom that was present in, within me that is no longer there is because it was a loving gesture. It was a way to help what I had hoped would be a sisterhood for healing. I was willing to turn the other cheek, to see how I played a role in all of this, to help white women see, oh, okay, so I'm coming to the table with this. Can you meet me at the table with the stuff that you've done? But no, no. What happened was that they instead defaulted to their programming of being codependent on victimhood. And so there is no hope. There is no hope for any change because they refuse to pick up their load. And for me, I am dropping them. I am dropping the weight because they have continued to show time and time again that they will sink my ship. And so that is where it's at. And this is, you know, if we want to talk about what needs to happen, I do want to talk about what needed to happen for white women to heal from their white whiteness. And this is just a short list. But first, they need to admit that there is racism. And we all know that there are white people that refuse to see that racism exists. So that's a level zero. The next level is that they need to admit that they benefit from racism, the whole white privilege thing. They need to admit to that. Then they need to confess that they are racist. All white women are racist. And by the time you get to that level, you've eliminated like 98% because the ones that are actively racist aren't even going to listen to me. And the ones that are the liberal love and light crowd, they believe that they're just all goodness. They're just all good people. And so there isn't a racist bone in their body. And so they won't even get to that level. Okay, but I'll continue. Then the, they need to admit that they don't care that they are racist or that there's a racist system. They have to admit that they are apathetic and they have been apathetic, and their mom has been apathetic, and their grandmother has been apathetic. Then the next step, they need to admit that they take pleasure from harming BIPOC. And they need to admit that they take pleasure from harming Black women. So that's the sadistic aspect. Then they need to admit that they are just like Trump, and just like all the white nationalists that they claim to hate. Then they need to confess that they have had a huge hand in creating and nurturing white nationalism. Then they need to admit that they created and nurtured white nationalism because they intrinsically believe that they are superior to Black people. Then they need to admit to themselves that they have no spiritual connection they need to confess that they don't have what it takes to break this terminal addiction. So they need to admit to themselves that they need help and they need humility. And then they need to admit that they are envious of Black women and our spiritual connection. 
And then lastly, once they've gotten through all that admitting and all that confessing, then they need to dedicate their entire lives and their daughter's lives and their granddaughter's lives to healing whiteness within their DNA. And as you can already guess, that's not going to happen. So we're moving on. I'm moving on. White women are a cautionary tale. The legacy of white women for me is that they are a cautionary tale, a cautionary tale of what happens when you are ripped from your spiritual roots and don't do the very hard work that it takes to reconnect to those spiritual roots. It's hard work, but it's a lot easier if you're only a generation or two removed from it. Once it becomes several generations, it's impossible to heal. And so that is my insight for all of you. I think of this as I am just one Black woman. I don't speak for all Black women. I am simply coming. I like to think of it as like I'm coming to the barbecue. Like we're all coming to this fun party. We're all bringing different dishes. And this is the dish that I have to bring. (laughs) I wish it was maybe something that was a little bit more tasty, but this is the dish that I'm, I have to bring. I'm, I'm simply sharing this information, the insight that I have gleaned on from my time on this planet, the lessons that I have had. You know, if I can give you this information and it immediately resonates so you can move on to the other lessons that life has to offer you, I feel that that is great. If it doesn't resonate with you, totally fine. Just like a barbecue, it's not something, like if you don't like the dish, don't eat it. It's totally fine. Um, So that's my truth. That's what I'm sharing. And the cautionary tale for me, how I'm moving forward, I should say, is being super committed to maintaining my spirituality And uh, I do believe Christianity is the greatest spiritual bypass. I was raised Christian. That's not the faith that I've ascribed to. Um, There are lessons from Christianity that I feel are helpful and insightful. But all in all, I think I do know that is a, a huge spiritual bypass. So that is not the path for me. And spirituality, I believe, is an individual experience. It combines ancestral practices and lots of different things. So that is what I have walked away from this deep dive into why white women continue to suffer from whiteness. And um, that that's a big part of it. And I also have set strong barbed wire boundaries. I will never trust a white woman ever, 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 ever. Um, And, you know, given my work, I will collaborate and work with them, but it's going to be like, you know, that coworker that you really don't care for and really doesn't have much to do with your job, but you kind of have to engage with them. That's what it's going to be like for me moving forward. Um, you know, I treat them like they have a terminal addiction. That is in that I, I engage with them in very limited situations. I know at any point they can relapse and I have to first and foremost take care of myself. 
And I've also defined blackness for myself. Um, I know some black women are divesting from blackness, which I think is totally cool too, if that's for you. Um, I would say though, if you're divesting from blackness, I've seen some that are divesting from blackness and trying to be like white women. And I would say that that's missing the mark. So I would invite you to define blackness for yourself, whatever that means. And then for me, I am reconnecting with Mother Earth. That is where my attention is going, healing that broken relationship and uh, doing what I can to do differently moving forward and create, be an example of someone who is in business, who does love economics and can show though that we can put Mother Earth first and still thrive financially. So that's part of the legacy that I want to leave moving forward. And with this podcast, moving forward, the next episodes will be all about Mother Earth, kind of. (laughs) It's going to be lifestyle design um, from a wealthy Black woman's perspective. So Money, Sex, Power has been the touchstone, the trinity, as I call it, of strengthening my inner power and giving myself permission to be a fully embodied, wealthy Black woman, being unapologetic about that. And so I'm going to share what um, some of the things that are lighting me up, you know, some of the lifestyle design aspects of the research that I do that's letting me up. For instance, my fiance and I are looking into purchasing a home. And so we've been doing a deep dive into different architectural designs and interior designs. So I'll share some of that with you. And I've been intentionally redesigning my style aesthetic. It's going to be, it is a combination of Jamaican, so Caribbean island girl with um, 90s R&B vibes. Like it's a total, it's been really fun mixing that pot up together. And so that is what this podcast, the future episodes will be all about, lifestyle design from a wealthy Black woman. And I hope that it adds some joy to your day, some inspiration, something that you can maybe take a few nuggets from and add to your your own blend, your own mix and create your own definition of what it means to be a wealthy Black woman. I um, That would just make me so happy if there's just a couple of things that I share that light you up and you take that and remix it and make it your own. And that is this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to stay tuned for future episodes. They drop every new and full moon. Until next time.